All right, welcome back to another podcast from Faith Baptist Church in Visalia. Uh, my name is Eric Northuck. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Baptist Church. And uh, Dan Castaneda, the other pastor here. And we're talking about self-esteem. And so we need our self-esteem theme song, yes. Alter Ego. Alter, A L T A R, alter. Alter. That's right. So we've been talking about self esteem. The last, at least the last podcast, we we talked about self esteem, and we need to pick up where we left off here. Yeah. And before we jump into that, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. That was rude, Dan. You just interrupted the man. <laughs> I, right I expect that at this point <laughs> with you. I, in fact, I never no no quite what to expect with you, but hey, I just want to read this. Yeah, one of the greatest needs we all have is to feel a sense of self worth. Deep down, we need to know what that we're important and our lives matter. We want to know that we have something great to offer. So often, people base their self worth on things that don't last looks, achievement, possessions. They feel important if they drive the fastest car or own the latest gadget. The problem is that all of those things can change. Some people find their value in other people. However, if you find your value in how others make you feel and they hurt you and disappoint you, very likely you'll turn it on yourself and think there must be something wrong with me. No, the only problem is that you're, you're getting your self-worth from the wrong places. Where should we get our value? Where should we find our self-worth? Our value should come solely from the fact that we are children of the Most High God. We should know that we are important because God says we are important. The value God places on you is permanent. Nothing you can do, nothing anyone else can do will ever be able to change that. I encourage you to check your heart today and make sure you aren't finding your worth in anything other than the love of Christ. Find rest and peace today in Him, knowing that your worth is forever established in heaven the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession, Deuteronomy 14.2. Guess who said that? I don't know. Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds good. It does. It sounds good. What's wrong with that? Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that sounds really good. And that's the message. That, I mean, that's Joel Osteen right there. I know. He even threw in the word Christ. Right. He even threw in the word Christ. And he threw in a scripture. Right. But it's really the gospel of self-esteem. And this, I think is. that's what's most interesting about this whole self-esteem movement is, you know, it began in secular psychology, you know, but it's really found, it's really found a home in the church. It has. And it's, it's surprising because it is the, the absolute contradiction to what centuries of Christians have been saying— you know, a, a biblical view of, of man. There, there's no place for that kind of talk. And so we need to break this down because when we, we read something like that, I mean, it sounds really good. It does. So we need to find out, well, what is wrong with it? What does the Bible say about man? And, and what is wrong with his statement there? And so we, we've got to look at what the Scripture says. 
you know? You know, I was just looking at that. I, I wanted to look at a couple different people. I looked at Joel Osteen. I looked at Joyce Myers. And I had a quote from T.D. Jakes, who's way out there. I mean, he doesn't even talk about God in, in his stuff at all. And, and Joyce Myers at least talks about God, and she throws some scriptures in, and Joel Osteen does. But again, what it does is it, it, it God becomes your self-esteem meter, you know, he becomes a place where you go for self-esteem. Right. And instead of worshiping God, and nowhere in, in Scripture do you see this. You always see God exalted. Our, our eyes as believers are to be on God. Because the, the reality is, is that mankind already loves themselves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but we're, to take, we're to take our eyes off ourselves and, and put them on God and worship God, and you never see any of the, all of this is anti, antithetic to Scripture. Yes, as as believers, you could say there is intrinsic value in belonging to to God, and you have the promises of God. But we don't go there to find our self worth yeah. because anything it, that we have always comes from God, right? And God alone. And so again, you're you're taking the eyes off of God. You, the alter ego. Yeah. You're, you're taking your eyes off of God, and, and you're putting it on self. If if you're saying that God is my, is the one that's going to provide my self worth. Right. You're you're basically saying that the entire goal of God is to make you feel good about yourself. Yes. And yeah, like you're saying, there is intrinsic worth in a person. Believer or unbeliever, there yes. is everybody's created in the image of God. Yes. There's no doubt about that. the The problem is that that value or that intrinsic worth was not meant to exalt self. Yes, it was meant right. to exalt God. That's, that's right. the point. Yes, and and so you don't see anywhere in Scripture, like you were saying, where you have uh, any exaltation of one's self ever looked on as a good thing. That's right. It's always looked on as evil. You worship the Lord yeah. your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You're not looking to worship yourself with those things. Yeah. You always worship God. I was thinking of the, you know, the song that was really popular, a worship song there for a long time by Michael W. Smith. You know, like a rose trampled on the ground. Yeah. You took, you know, you took the fall and thought, thought of, of me, me above all. Above all. Yeah. And, you know. I remember singing that. I go, oh man, that's such a cool song. But later on, <laughs> later on, when I came to my senses, I'm like, wait a minute, this is really exalting, man, and saying that that Jesus died specifically for my exaltation. Yeah, John seventeen one. You know, I we're gonna look at this this Sunday, but there's in John seventeen one, you have the entire purpose of Christ's ministry identified there in, in his prayer, in his high priestly prayer. And it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and, Father, and, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, and the Son may glorify you. That is the purpose mm-hmm. of all human existence, That's right. all of creation, every single thing that's ever been created, man or animal or plant. The entire earth was created... <laughs> to accomplish what Jesus prays right there in verse 1. Mm. And there's no place for exalting anything else. That's right. It is all about Christ. That's right. And the entire purpose of the church is to exalt Christ. And so 
He did not come and then die and thought of us above all. If he did that, he would be committing a horrendous idolatry. Yes, he would. He would be exalting yeah. Yeah. us above himself as the greatest thing. And so, Jesus, Jesus yeah. wouldn't have been doing that. You know, everything he did was for the glory of the Father. Yeah. And and his his death. Yes, I mean, there's a sense in which yes, we benefit, and and specifically, he dies for the elect. But that's that wasn't above all. Right. That wasn't above all. Only the glory of the Father is above all. That w- that was f- that was for the purpose of exalting Christ above all. Yes. That's why he died. Yes. He died so that Christ would be exalted as God. So in essence, yes. the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, would be exalted above all. Yes. That's the purpose. Yes. And so, yeah, I mean, that song is... Not a good song, <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds great, right? It sounds, it sounds good. great, but but again, when you really think about it and you break it down, it makes me the center of yeah. God's universe, right? The, you know. Anyway, and that and, and that that kind of leads us into in this article by Jay Adams that you introduced me to, which I find uh, to be really good. I, wh- where did you get this from? Um, it's actually in the. I think it's either in the journal. Of, no, it's not in the journal of biblical counseling. I had it in my stuff from okay. masters. It says Chapel Library, uh, but it's I, called The Biblical yeah. View of Self-Esteem. And he, he goes through here, and he looks at the verses used to, to synchronize Christian and self-esteem movement through Scripture used to, used to support these things. And he, you know, I, I kind of call this like a, a drop-the-mic kind of article. <laughs> you know, is, he just really blasts is. it away. Like, he there's does. no place for it in, in a biblical worldview. And so... And he says that right in the beginning of this article. He says any any methodology that tries to to use any other system but Scripture itself to to propagate anything is is faulty. It is the Scripture that we go to, and so it is the. He says the Scriptures that are used by those within the the, the self esteem movement that have infiltrated the church. They the Scriptures are ransacked. The verses are twisted in order to give some sort of biblical credence to the theory. But the Bible is not used is used not to discover what God has to say or what to believe, rather. The viewpoint was already bought and brought to the Bible when the biblical search began. Yes. And for all of you students out there, that's called eisegesis. Yes, yeah. That is not how you study the Bible. No, no, and that's exactly what you do with this. I like what he says, a pagan system is adopted and then the Bible is said to support it. Yeah. Because that's what it is. It's a pagan system yep. of thinking about man. Yep. And then they, they take scriptures and they say, well, the scriptures support this. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to go to the scripture and wholeheartedly buy into the self-esteem movement, you can buy into the self-esteem movement and be a Christian. Christian. I, I know there's people who do that because yes. they're deceived. But you go to the scripture to prove then the self-esteem, right? You know th- that it's in the Bible. You're going to find verses that you think do that. Like with anything, yes. I mean, what do you what do you want? You you can you can do that with the Bible. You can make it say what you want, but you got to twist Scripture to do it. And this is this is what he's saying. He says the the penchant for finding the latest psychological ideas in the Scripture is dangerous because the extra biblical view is given biblical authority. In in other words, the psychological ideas have higher authority than the Scripture themselves. And and so it is given biblical authority. Really, it is, it is the Bible. 
Yes. You know, because the smart guy from Harvard said it. That's right. So, and then it, and then God is misrepresented. Any any system that proposes to solve human problems apart from the Bible and the power of the Holy Spirit is is condemned by Scripture That's itself. Right. That's right. There, there's there's nothing there. So, but this is what's going on. The Christians are attempting to integrate this system. So, I th- so I think along with that, you know, we start with Matthew 22, which is where, you know, I, I think I've heard this argument, you know, before, where, you know, in order to love others or love God, you have to love yourself. And, you know, the, the passage is set in the context. He says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So someone comes up to Jesus trying to trap him, right? He says, "Thou sh-, and Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And that's Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40. And so what you, what you get out of that and the way that's twisted is that, is that these self-esteem Christian psychologists will say, well, that just shows that you have to love yourself before you can love God or others. Well, it says, love your neighbor as... Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, to use the King James translation. Yes. Uh, Is that not what it's saying? It says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. yourself. That's right, that's right. So So, so self-esteem... That's right. That's what they try and that's what they try and get at, but the passage isn't talking about loving yourself. It's 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 presuming that you already do, which is what God does. Because humans naturally do love themselves yeah. in, in deeply. Right, that's the point, right? Yeah. If I'm hungry, yeah. what do I do? You eat food. If I'm thirsty, what or do I do? You get a drink, right? If I'm sleepy, I take a nap. Yeah. That's old people. Right. <laughs> There's nothing like a good nap right. on a Sunday. You right. Know? You're going to make sure that you have what you need. Yes. Uh, yes. So the the problem is never that you don't love yourself. That's right. It's that you don't love your neighbor. That's right. That's yeah. that's the point of the passage. Yes. You you are born loving yourself and not love, loving your neighbor. And Jesus gives a commandment that is absolutely diametrically opposed to everything in you, which is to love yourself. That's right. What about the person that says they hate themselves? Because sometimes you get people that go, well, I just hate myself. Well, you do have people that say that they, that they hate themselves, but generally they're still eating, sleeping, or whatever. There's still this, right. this basic care that they have for themselves. I think Adams makes a good case where he talks about suicide yes. being the ultimate end of self-love. Yes. You know, the, the self-pity thing is really, dis- really, really good disguised self-love. It's very deceptive. Yeah, it's deceptive. Yeah. It, it's saying, in essence, what Adams says, and I agree with it, it's, it's saying that I am too good to have these kind of circumstances. Right in my life and surround me. I, I don't deserve any of this. Yeah, I deserve something better. I deserve something better. I don't deserve this mistreatment. Yes. I don't deserve the way that, you know, my life has been. Yes. And and so I hate I hate my life. Right. And then that's, you know, I, I thought that was an interesting point as, as 
you think about that, suicide is the ultimate expression of self-love. Yes. It's the end of it. Yeah, because you're not thinking of anybody right. else. Right. You're not thinking about the family you're leaving behind. You're not thinking about, you know, what it's doing to everybody around you. You're just thinking about you. Yes. And how much you want to, you know, how, how much you're just not worthy of, or, or all of these things, are this life, these people, they aren't worthy of you. Yes. And you need in to. In the end. In, in the end. Yeah. yeah. And that's not, you know, again, that's not to to make light of those situations because people do find themselves in those situations. But the reality is, and, and I think Adams has nailed that, you know, on the head here, is that the reality is, is that it is the ultimate expression of, of self-love, as, especially as we, you know, understand the human condition. Romans 14, 7 through 8, none of, none of us lives to himself, no man dies to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, or whether we die, we die unto the Lord. And so suicide is a refusal to live and die unto the Lord. Mm, wow. It is a refusal to trust in the Lord, accept the circumstances that he's given you. Yes. And it is uh, a choosing instead of you living and dying unto yourself. Yes. That's just fascinating. To that me. is a really that's that's a really fascinating thought, and it's it's definitely a biblical thought. It, it, it's just no wonder that suicides are. I mean, I haven't looked at the statistics, but it's a major topic in our day. It is. Well, this is what the self esteem movement, and it's 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 interesting because if this is true, then the more we push self esteem, the more we should expect. Self-harm and yeah. suicide. To be. It yeah. has to be the end goal because, because you are the end goal and, yeah. and nothing else. You live 100% for you and, and you alone in the self-esteem movement. And you don't care about anybody else, yeah. including God, right? ultimately. Huh. Walter Trobisch wrote that self-love is the pre- prerequisite and the criterion for our conduct towards our neighbors. And so what he's saying is that Jesus commanded us to love ourselves, but we cannot love our neighbors unless we first learn to love ourselves. Or that's God. the criteria. Or God. Or God. So, I mean, that's just fascinating. If you don't love yourself, you can't obey this commandment. And it, it takes that that little addition there. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. And it it just like, it lifts it way up and beyond. Yes. As the greatest goal above everything. It literally becomes the greatest commandment. Love love the Lord your God is no longer the first commandment because you can't do that unless you love yourself. So love yourself actually becomes... And, and again, love yourself is not a commandment here. It's a statement of fact. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're taking love yourself and you're elevating it to the commandment above love the Lord your God if you're going to if you're going to interpret it that way because you're saying you cannot I've I've heard people say this you can't love God or others until you love yourself. Right. What? So that becomes the highest commandment then. So if I love myself first, then I can love God. Right. And then I can love my neighbor. That just turns the whole thing on its head. It flips head. it upside down. Yeah, and it again, it, it, it makes you God. Yes, it does. It makes you the highest highest goal. Everything else is is, you know, is, is subsidiary. It's yes. secondary. 
Yes. And I, and I really like, you know, it's clear when you read the text, there's only two commandments there. Yeah. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. And the second commandment is like unto it, love your neighbor as you already love yourself. Right. It's not saying love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. That's right. So that's that's what they do. They make three commandments out of two. Yes. And then, and then that one commandment becomes the greatest commandment. Ultimately, yeah. Yeah. Because you can't do the other two until you do that one. I, I like what Adam says in this article. He says, Trobish has the temerity to say this, the finding of modern psychology that man must acquire love for himself sheds new light on the command which Jesus emphasizes as ranking in importance next to loving God. In other words, Trobish thinks that until modern psychologists unearthed the truth elsewhere, this important biblical command in this very important new aspect lay buried and was not adequately understood for nearly 2,000 years. The church was in the dark. <laughs> so the church has had it wow. wrong for 2,000 years. 2,000 years, Thank yep. you for yep. the self-esteem movement. Yes. To bring this to light. Thank you for modern psychology. Thank you for modern for psychology. Interpreting the Bible for us and right. showing us what it should have said all along. Because the, the you know the early saints had no idea. Well, I mean, what were, they were they were going off like being martyred, and uh, you know for for the faith and all. What, what were they thinking? I know they had no self esteem. They had no self esteem. Like if they had had self esteem, they would never have gone through that much suffering. And no. So I think uh, that Matthew twenty two passage is, is pretty clear that that is not a. A verse that speaks of self-love. Some will take the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells, and you, they'll use it as a as a way to propagate or foster self-interest. You know, it's about self. You need to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. I think in this, he, he says that the he meant do the same thing for others that you would do for yourself. That's what he's saying in there. He goes, but that couldn't be right for several reasons, because the criteria for loving others are the Ten, are the ten Commandments that Jesus was summarizing in, in the two. Love the Lord your yeah. God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Right. And so again, it, the focus comes off of self. I don't just do things for you so that you will do them for me. That's, right. That's not an expression of 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 true love that's just me manipulating worth yeah and the reality is that my whole life should be predicated on loving the lord my god with all my heart soul mind and strength and then my neighbor as myself it's it's a self-sacrificing for my neighbor self-sacrificing for god first followed by a self-sacrificing for my neighbor because i understand who god is and what God has done for me in Christ, I can then self-sacrifice for my neighbor. Yeah, right. The The natural intensity and fervency of your love for self, you need to put toward your neighbor. Yes, but not out of self-love. Not out of self-love. Because that's what, I think that's what they would, right. they would take that passage to show, it's, is that you right. do these things because you want people to do them back to you. Right. No, it's saying you don't have a problem doing these things for yourself. That's right. You, your problem is not self-love. You need to turn that intensity and fervency toward loving each other for the sake of Christ. That's right, yes. And then there's this idea of infinite worth. Are we Are we of infinite worth? I mean, yes. that sounds really nice. Like, I know it are does. Are we of... Dan, are you of infinite worth? You know, I, I was... 
thinking about this today when I was reading that, and I was like, there's only one person who is infinite. Right. And it's not me. Right. <laughs> so if I'm going to talk about infinite worth, I cannot talk about humanity. You have to talk about God, because yeah. God is the only one who is infinite, and he is the only one who is of infinite worth. Finite creatures can't claim infinite worth. Yeah, that is that that is very true. But this is a a an idea that's that's taught in any you know it's preached. It sounds good. Yeah, that that you know we're of infinite value or infinite worth. But this is you know there's this kind of language. The human being is a glorious, dignified creature with infinite value. God wants us to see ourselves as his gift to the world. We are something beautiful that God has done. We are something exquisite that he has planned. I mean, that sounds kind of like what Joel Osteen was saying. I yeah. Mean, I mean, that really, really puffs up man, doesn't it? It really does. And yes. I, we're, just, we're beautiful. We're, we're exquisite. We're, we're the, the pinnacle of, you know, the greatest thing God could ever do was, was, to, to, create ma- was to create me. <laughs> that's... <laughs> Uh, that's that's right. I, I thought it was interesting that he says that these guys like to use Romans six one through thirteen and Colossians three one through ten as advocating this this infinite worth based on the things that Christ has accomplished and how we benefit from those. And then he says, "Well, that just." goes to show, I mean, the people that advocate this would say, well, that just goes to show the infinite worth and infinite value of the of a person. He said one, Adam's quote, quotes one, what he calls a zealous advocate of the system. Our self-image as Christians, therefore, must be of ourselves as persons who have decisively rejected the old way of living, which is called the old man, and have permanently adopted a new way of living, which is called the new man. And that's what they would say is that, well, that's be, that's where we get our self-worth it is from this infinite self-worth comes from the fact that we have rejected the old way of living and now we're living according to the new man. But again, the focus is on me in that. It's not on Christ. Christ yeah. is the one who accomplished all that. Right. That's in, in this entire argument or this entire discussion, what is missed is the centrality of Christ. Yes. He's the reason, the purpose. Yes. It's not about man. Man was created. I, I don't remember if we said it in this one or the other last podcast we did, but man was created uh, for the purpose of exalting Christ and bringing glory to God. The, yes. What, you know, the chief end of man is to glorify God uh, and enjoy him forever. That's, you know, that's the Westminster... Catechism number one, and it's true, mm-hmm. and and they knew that before the psychologists came along and and told us, you know, well, the chief end of man is for him to glorify himself by enjoying himself forever, <laughs> you know. Yes, I mean that's yeah. that's the entire self esteem movement. It is, it is. I like what he says. That all that he's talking about Romans uh, six and Colossians three. All that is wonderfully clear, but what is also clear is that Paul does not tell us this to make us feel good about ourselves or to give us strokes or to raise our self-esteem. His purpose is to urge us to become in everyday living what we already are counted to be in Christ. Yeah. In Christ. Right. 
In other words, he wants us to see that in ourselves we fall short of what yep. we are in Christ. Right. It is Christ who is of infinite value. Yes. Not man. That's right. And any value we have comes because we're created in the image of God, and then because we are united to Christ. Yes. We receive what we do not deserve. It is it is only because of Christ. And and the thing is that there there's no biblical precedence for the kind of language where we you know we speak of or, or they they say things like man you're you're of infinite worth you yes. don't see that anywhere in no. the scripture no and if that were a true concept you would see that you would like that seems like it's a pretty big deal for the Bible to have left out mm-hmm. if if it was all about you know our infinite worth but all the scripture does ever is elevate God elevate Christ. Never, never man. Yeah. In, in all that it does, it never elevates man. And so to claim that, again, is a twisting of the Scripture and, and taking taking something that's God-centered, Christ-centered, and you are making it you-centered. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's right. It's, it twists everything. I, I love this, Matthew 6, 26. It says, are you not much better than the, speaking of the sparrows, Matthew 10, 31, are you more valued than the sparrows? Luke, 12, 7 says the same thing. And then, you know, in, in those passages, Jesus says that two sparrows are sold for a cent and five for two cents. And so man is said to be of yeah. more value than many sparrows. And this means that if many sparrows means, let's say, 500 sparrows, then you're worth $2.50 at the <laughs> most. <laughs> maybe five, maybe five. So bucks. how many sparrows are you worth then? Yeah. A thousand uh, sparrows. Right? A thousand sparrows. Okay, so you're five, five bucks. You're five bucks. Uh, I, I think that's that's just hilarious because uh, you know we're compared to the value that we're worth more than sparrows. Well, how much more? Well, it doesn't say infinite value. No, it does not say infinite uh, value. So the point is that the bird, that that man's value to God, man's value to God is not the point in that. No, it is. It has to do with God's providence. Yes. God's care. It's all about God's value. Yes. It's all about his ability to care. And if he's going to care for the sparrows, you're worth more than a sparrow. Yes. At least $2.50 more. That's right. <laughs> so don't worry, I'll take care of you. Yes. You know, it's an argument from the, from the lesser to the greater. But it's all about God. Right? It's all that's about right. him. It is. And that's that's the point of it all. Man's, I like what he says here is man's value to God is not in question. It's because God obviously has value in man. He created man in his own image, but but yet God is the one who did that. And God is the one who cares for man out of his grace and out of his mercy. Even unsaved and unregenerate man, he causes his reign to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. He brings the rain in its season so that the people on the earth can eat, and that is all a result of his grace and his mercy, not the infinite value of man. Yeah. Everything just focuses on God and, and God alone and never man. Man is never the central focus of the scriptures. Yeah, it's all about the infinite value of yes. God. And that's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. That's the language of scripture. It is God-centered and Christ-centered, never man-centered. Yes, and any man-centeredness is is in terms of fallenness mm-hmm. of man and his inability to measure up to the infinite worth of God. 
And, and, and Jesus doesn't come and restore our infinite worth. Jesus is our infinite worth. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, I mean, there's a big difference. There is a big difference. And there's a lot of people that would claim that. There's a lot of evangelicals that would say, well, Jesus came to restore our worth. Yeah. No, he didn't. He did not. He, like you said, he is our infinite he, he worth. Is. And it is only because of him that we can even enter into the presence of God. Yeah. I think uh, that's, a, that's a good place to stop. And we'll continue this again. I think there's more to say. I think we need to look at a biblical... Uh, view of man, you know, yes. what does the Bible teach about man and man's responsibility? Yes. What does it mean that he's created in the, in the image of God if it doesn't mean that we have infinite worth? All of these are important. And then I, I want to discuss also what is self-esteem, because there is something the Bible says about self-esteem that we need to know, mm-hmm. and it relates to our conscience. And in what the world calls self-esteem, the Bible has a category for. And I think that, that, that'll be where we'll wrap up this discussion, you know, either next time or, or after that. We'll see how many podcasts we can <laughs> extract out of this. Yes. But uh, all right, great discussion. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Again, this is a ministry of Faith Baptist Church in Visalia. And if you're looking for a good church, you should come visit us Sunday school at 9.30 on Sundays. And then 10.30 is the main service. And then 6 o'clock on Sundays, we have our evening service. And we have lots of great discussion in the evening. So if you can make it to that, I think you'll find it really enjoyable. All right. Well, until next time.